Good morning, gentlemen. My name is Brent Baker. I'm one of the pastors at Park Cities Presbyterian Church. Uh, I've been with you many times in the mornings, and it's such a sweet time and one that I'm sure we're all missing right now, to be around the table and drinking coffee and eating donuts, uh, being able to see each other face to face, being able to listen to a sermon or lesson, and then being able to actually talk to each other about it. And I would just encourage you, uh, one, we're going to continue to try to uh, create a centerpiece for um, thought and your own faith during this time, but also for, number two, conversation, for fellowship, for community. And so I would just encourage you as best you can, don't give up on fellowship and community during this strange time when we're dispersed and uh, mostly separated from each other. Utilize things like Zoom or FaceTime, uh, even a conference call if you're tired of Zooming like me. Uh, whatever it takes so that you might not lose the blessing of fellowshipping over God's Word and sharing and updating each other about your lives together and praying together. So I just urge you, find ways to make that happen. Let's pray, and then let's dive straight into God's Word. We might be doing this a little bit more uh, like an inductive Bible study. I might utilize the whiteboard a little bit uh, for the visual learners in the room, or I should say on the other side of the computer. Uh, and uh, we're just going to go straight through the end of Hebrews chapter 11. Let's pray. Father, we pause this morning, wherever we are, and we acknowledge that uh, while things may seem upside down to us, everything is right side up to you. We are exactly where we need to be. And for some of us, Father, that is, it's a painful place. It's a lonely place or a hurtful place. And for some of us, this time has been a, a, a blessing, a reset. It slammed the brakes on our overly frenetic, busy lives and made us slow down, which opened our hearts and minds to the things that are most important. And so we have a variety of experiences right now, Father, and I'm asking that you would meet us each in our own particular place and that you would give us eyes to see things as you see and ears to hear things as you hear, and a heart to follow you. Increase our faith. Reorient our faith this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, our scripture passage for today uh, is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 to 40. Before we, we dive in and uh, read the Word of God together, uh, I just want to make a, a quick comment. Um, it's no doubt that this chapter's uh, theme is faith. Uh, it begins with faith is the assurance or the conviction of things unseen. It's the evidence of things hoped for. Uh, and it goes on through different narratives of different people who did not have perfect lives, but through faith, they held on to God's promises and held on to God himself. And so he commends them for that. 
It is both about the faith they exhibited, but even more so, and perhaps more ultimately, how God's faithfulness lived itself out through them. And so through faith is just as much a theme of the chapter as the idea of faith itself. As a matter of fact, in verse 6, it tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he diligently rewards those who seek wholeheartedly after him. Seek wholeheartedly after him. That's what we're going to see at the end of Hebrews 11. It's almost like things are um, downhill racing to a close. And the preacher of Hebrews, while he has taken a little bit of time with certain patriarchs and even matriarchs of the faith, uh, he all of a sudden concludes in a rush. But what he describes is a faith that can be seen. So often we think of faith as a mental assent to something, or just a cognitive belief. It's an invisible thing. It's an invisible attribute. But Scripture, and specifically Hebrews 11, is warring against that idea. That it is a mental assent that becomes a cognitive belief that seeps into the will and then lives itself out in life. It's an evidenced faith. It's an observable faith. It's a livable faith. And for our sake today, I'm going to use the word vibrant faith because it means that it's alive. And as we dive in, I just have to ask, how is your faith? How are the fruits of your faith? Is your faith an observable faith? Whether it be someone who has known you for a very long time or someone who doesn't know you hardly at all. If they observed you this week, would there be a certain sense of obviousness about your faith? And one thing's certain as we look to this part of our passage, that their faith displayed itself in obvious ways, and more specifically in power and in great endurance, because that's what a vibrant faith does. It displays itself in power and endurance. Let's read the word of God together. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 32 and ending in verse 40. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves 
of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what are the fruits of your faith? We can see here that these are people who, at the conclusion of this preacher's sermon, uh, he's rushing downhill. He's talked about the patriarchs and the matriarchs of the faith, and he seems to be, in a consolidated way, speaking towards everyone else that he could have mentioned if only he had had time. And so he begins to almost as if mention them by name. And he says, uh, Gideon, Barak, Samson, and then Jephthah. And these people represent the judges of Israel. And then he mentions David, who represents the kings of Israel. And then he mentions, last but not least, Samuel and the prophets. And that's obviously representing the prophets of Israel. So as he's coming to a conclusion, that the point is that the people of God have always been marked by faith, and that their faith has always displayed itself in very obvious ways. So what then is said in, in following tells us about the faith of the judges and the kings and the prophets. And there's a connecting phrase. There's a connecting phrase, and it's one of the most important parts in this passage. After he mentions these names, he says, Who through faith? Who through faith? Who through faith? It's a connecting phrase. It's incredibly important. It implies that whatever is accomplished, whatever is actually done through these people, whatever is actually lived out in these people is being lived out through faith. And so it means that faith isn't this dormant, ideological, philosophical thing. It's alive. It's vibrant. It's active. It's fruitful. It's observable. It's livable. And that's why these faithful ones from Hebrews 11, if you read down to verse 39, they are those who are commended through their faith. And that word commended is martyreo. It's, it's where we get our word martyr from. But what it actually means is bearing witness. And so perhaps a more helpful or less helpful, but more wooden translation that brings out the meaning better is that the faithful ones are those who bear witness through their faith. They bear witness. It's a faith that's lived. It's observable. It's fruitful. It's vibrant. And so it's no wonder that every phrase following is going to begin with a verb. Because faith acts. Simply, brothers, 
we've heard this before, faith alone saves, but faith that saves is never alone. Okay, it's, it's not about you working your way into salvation. It's about God's salvation working its way in and through you. And we call this saving faith. And as we begin to read about these judges and kings and prophets presented in this conglomeration, in this consolidated way, it begins with who through faith. And then it's going to tell us the obvious ways that their faith played out. And so we're going to read on. And we're going to see what faith looks like in the lives of these men and these women in Scripture. Okay, who through faith? Who through faith? And this is what it says. Conquered kingdoms. There's the verb. Enforced justice. There's the verb. Obtained promises. Stopped the mouths of lions. You remember, at least in my recollection, this happened a few times. Uh, once, I remember with Samson in Judges 14. And this is where it starts getting a little more unbelievable. That's why I'm, I'm pausing here. Stop the mouths of lions through faith. But it happened with Samson. It happened with David in 1 Samuel 17. It's one of the reasons given why he can actually face this giant Goliath. Uh, it was true of Daniel in the lion's den. He did not suffer. He was not harmed. He was not killed. And the preacher goes on. Not only that, they quenched the power of fire. You remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, in Abednego, if you can remember their original names, not given to them in Babylon, you should reward yourself with a prize of some kind. I'm not going to say it. You have to look it up. Go to Daniel chapter 1. But through faith, they quenched the power of fire. They were not consumed in the fiery furnace. And then he goes on. They escaped the edge of the sword. And he says they were made strong out of weakness. Now, think about this for a second. We, we as men don't often do weakness well. I can tell you in my life, that is uh, one of the major themes of the last five to ten years, is learning to do weakness. We equate weakness with powerlessness, but that's not actually how Scripture represents it. Through faith, we're made strong out of weakness. That word strong is Dunamao, it's from dynamite. They're made dynamite out of weakness. And we see this in the Old Testament time and time again. Through faith, the youngest, not the oldest, gets chosen. It's a pattern in Genesis. Abel is the favored one. Jacob is the favored one. Joseph is the favored one. We see Abraham, who was childless, and yet he was called to be the father of God's family. Here on earth. But we see Moses, who, who's slow of speech and perhaps had a, a stuttering problem. 
And yet he is sent as God's mouthpiece to Pharaoh to set his people free. We see this with, with David, who was too young, too inexperienced to be king. And yet he was chosen by God to be what would become the penultimate human king. A representative of what a human kingship can and should be in many ways. And so through faith, made strong out of weakness. Perhaps you need to learn weakness like I do. But he goes on. They became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. They, it, Israel is often outnumbered and overpowered. And yet even in those instances, what does God do? He shrinks their army. Go read the story of Gideon. Judges chapter 4 to 14. You'll see, you'll see other instances of this. God, through faith, makes them mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight through a shrunken army so that his power might be made manifest. And then who through faith, it says, women received back their dead by resurrection. Did you know resurrection took place in the Old Testament? It's not just a New Testament idea. Elijah and the widow's son in 1 Kings chapter 17, and then Elisha and the wealthy woman's son in 2 Kings 4. Two boys brought back from the dead to life through faith. And so there's a, there's a theme here, guys. There's, there's a theme. And it's really just a big singular word. Okay? Um, faith. A vibrant faith, a living faith, shows itself in power. Shows itself in power. Almost every instance mentioned in this passage results from a superhuman incident. It often is displayed in a supernatural way. A way that could only have happened with divine intervention. The ultimate power. And so to be careful, because uh, we know power in the hands of men is often used for corruption and tyranny, I, I think it's important to say this. Faith shows itself in power, but it is empowered. In other words, it's not a, a human thing that is brought up within someone and then exerted outward. It is a God-induced, God-ordained, God-moving in and through you kind of power. So I'm actually going to say it's empowered. A vibrant faith is, is empowered. Any power that man has is actually a derived power anyways. And that's kind of the, the point of the passage. It's not ultimately to display the power of certain men and women to do these incredible things. It makes us go, how could that possibly happen? I have faith. Am I supposed to be able to bring someone back from the dead? To conquer kingdoms, to enforce justice, to stop the mouths of lions, to quench the power of fire? And I remember the words of our Savior who said, I tell you, this is how powerful faith is. That if you have something just the size of a mustard seed, 
you can tell that mountain to be thrown into the sea and it will happen. What's he saying? He's saying this, this faith is not ultimately on display to show the power of men and women. It's to display how they were empowered by God through faith. To say it differently, it's, it's more about how the faithful one enables them to be full of faith, a vibrant faith that shows itself in obvious ways, in powerful ways. It's a derived power. It's a supernatural power. It's the power of God in and through you by faith. But that's not the only thing we see here. As a matter of fact, it's almost like the script totally flips on its head. We see this connection again, who through faith, but it describes something different than what seems like victory and conquering and power. It says this, and it's verbs again, notice that, which means faith is active in this way as well. Let me repeat that. Faith is active in this way as well. And that's important given the character of this outpouring of faith. Some were tortured but refusing to accept release. Some suffered mocking, flogging, chains, and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Tortured but refusing to accept release. They suffered mocking, flogging, chains, and imprisonment, it makes me think of Joseph imprisoned in Genesis 39. It makes me think of Jeremiah, who was imprisoned twice as a prophet of God in Jeremiah 20 and Jeremiah 27. They were stoned. It makes me think of Naboth, who was speaking on behalf of the Lord and was stoned by Jezebel in 1 Kings 21. Zechariah, the son of the priest, who was killed by Joash the king in 2 Chronicles 24. Or the prophet Uriah, who was speaking the truth, and he was slain with the sword by King Jehoiakim in Jeremiah 26. And brothers, we, we hear in those stories of this sort of thing from faithful people who live today. There's a publication about Fox's Book of Martyrs that displays the extent to which someone was willing to sacrifice to be found faithful to God. They traveled about in destitution. They were afflicted and ill-treated. They didn't have earthly comforts. They wore animal skins for clothing. And it says they wandered about in deserts and mountains with no earthly home. What a switch. Vibrant faith is showing itself in power and these exact same persons in their stories 
And it goes from victor to victim. It goes from conqueror to seemingly conquered. It goes from freedom to imprisonment and slavery and shackles and torture and suffering. And so there's a different theme. The first part was who through faith show this power, this divine power. But now it's those who through faith endure. A vibrant faith is a faith that does and is willing to endure. That there's something so sweet about the thing sacrificed for that nothing else can take it away. And this too is a fruit of vibrant faith. And we know that because almost always faith gets tested. Why would it be tested? To see if it endures. Faith is tried and tested to be proven true. And so a vibrant faith, it shines forth. It proves its worth like a diamond that's exposed through intense pressure and heat. And that's why our brother James later says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance or steadfastness. And let endurance have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Okay, the, the Greek word for endurance is, is hupomeno. It's, it's a compound word. It means to remain underneath. That pain, that suffering, that pressure. Not to flee, not to run away, but to remain under the weight and the fullest faith and the most obvious faith is always going to be the faith that's willing to remain under the weight. It's the one that endures. The fullest faith and the most satisfying faith will always be the faith that endures. And so a lot of people who tell me that they are bored in their faith, part of me wants to say, it's because your faith is boring. It lacks power and it lacks endurance. It won't stand up under much of anything. And as soon as it is tested or tried, it's blown like chaff in the wind. God doesn't exist. Where is he? When I did youth ministry for years, I used to hear all the time, I don't feel near to God. And I would almost inevitably listen, as I should, but in the back of my mind, I was waiting for the right moment to say, perhaps this has very little to do with God being near to you. It has everything to do with you being near to God. He's always present. And if you can embrace him by faith, if you can be someone who wholeheartedly seeks after him, as Hebrews eleven six says, it's impossible to please God without faith. You must come to God and believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Most people who are bored in their faith, there is no diligent seeking going on. It's passive. It's not an active faith. It's not a verb-fed faith. It's not an obvious faith. It's a latent faith. It's a passive faith, sometimes just an inherited faith. 
but it's not an enduring faith. And as soon as the fiery trial comes, be it health, be it economic uh, uncertainty, uh, be it a broken heart from a relationship that ended in a, a permanent way, be it the loss of a loved one, be it any kind of sense of loss or hurt or pain or suffering, especially if it was on account of their faith, it's blown away like chaff in the wind. It cannot remain and stand up under. It's flimsy. And it flies. And it's no wonder that you might feel bored in your faith if that's you, because it's a boring faith. And God's offering far more to those who diligently seek after him. He's offering an enduring faith that, as James told us, leads us to a place of completion, lacking nothing, where we're not blown and tossed by the waves. And so a vibrant faith shows itself in power, but a vibrant faith also shows itself in endurance. And so the passage ends like this, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they would not be made perfect. So how then, for those who lack faith, how then would they be made perfect? And I'm so thankful because the preacher of Hebrews doesn't end his sermon too early. He talks about the power and endurance of another. That's where I want to end today. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He says it this way, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these, these matriarchs and patriarchs and judges and kings and prophets, our predecessors in the faith, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let's lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely to us, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Listen to this. The founder and perfecter of our faith. How can, how can their faith be made perfect? How can a weakened faith be made perfect? I have good news for you. He is the perfecter of your faith. He is the epitome of faith. Fully trusting in God the Father and his promises. So much so that it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured. He remained under. He stood up under the cross and the weight of the wrath of God for us. And he called it joy and despised the shame. And now is seated at the place of power. Who through faith endured the cross in the greatest display of divine empowerment the world has ever known. He perfects our imperfect faith. Hallelujah. And so the one to whom we're called to be faithful is the one who will always be faithful to us.
And brothers, if you are weak in your faith, if it lacks power, it's not obvious. If it lacks endurance, it seems to blow away with every difficulty and suffering and trial that comes. The best thing you can do is to look to Jesus. He is the founder and perfecter of your faith. Let's pray. Father, lead us to consider and to examine what are the fruits of our faith. Is it obvious? Is it vibrant and alive? Does it show itself in a sense of power and endurance? And if not, then forgive us and help us to be men who confess our weakness so that we might be made strong. Not that we might make ourselves strong, but we would look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we give you thanks, Lord Jesus, that you considered it joy to endure ultimate suffering. And you are now seated on the throne in power. And if there's anything your cross and resurrection declares, it's that sin and death is conquered for us. So help us to fling ourselves to you and help us to cling ourselves to you too, that we might live a life of faith and that it might be obvious in power and endurance. Give us this grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brothers.